Hello and welcome to episode number 192 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today is Katie D and Lauren Dane. Katie has been eager to interview Lauren Dane for the podcast for a long time, and we finally found a opportunity for everyone to connect. We discuss how Lauren got her start as an author, the books that she writes that address frightening situations like domestic violence and stalking, and the stories of hers that focus on fierce and independent heroines who are part of realistic and vivid groups of friends. We also talk about alpha witches and alpha wolves and what books she's reading lately too. This podcast is brought to you by Love Swept, publisher of Good Girl by best-selling author Lauren Lane. In this steamy novel, country music's favorite good girl hides away from the world and finds herself bunking with a guy who makes her want to be a little bad. Jenny Dawson moved to Nashville to write music, not get famous. But when her latest record goes double platinum, Jenny's suddenly one of the town's biggest stars and the center of a tabloid scandal connecting her with a pop star she's barely even met. With paparazzi tracking her every move, Jenny flees to a remote mansion in Louisiana to write her next album. The only hiccup is the unexpected presence of a brooding young caretaker named Noah, whose foul mouth and snap judgments lead to constant bickering and serious heat. You can find Good Girl by Lauren Lane on sale May 17th wherever ebooks are sold. And we have a sponsor for the podcast transcript this month. The transcript is sponsored by Everything Under the Heavens, book one of the Silken Song series by Dana Stabenow. Joanna flees her homicidal stepmother in Kambalak, the storied city of Kublai Khan, and sets out on the Silk Road with companions Joffrey and Shasha in search of her fabled grandfather, Marco Polo. This book is now free on Amazon, Kobo, and iTunes, and it's 99 cents on Barnes & Noble as well. I will have links to both of these books, as well as everything else we talk about during this episode in the podcast entry. And if you're a regular listener or reader of the transcripts and you'd like to support the show, please have a look at our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash smartbitches. I set up the campaign, which is a little bit like Kickstarter, except that instead of a single project, you make monthly ongoing pledges to contribute to the show. Starting with a dollar a month, you can help me reach goals like commissioning transcripts for these 70 or so episodes that don't have them. And you can see rewards and options on the Patreon site at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Thank you to everyone who nudged me to set one up and thank you to everyone who has pledged. I so appreciate your support and I'm really looking forward to doing the first round of rewards for people who have supported the campaign because some of them are really, really fun. And now, without any further delay... No, wait, I forgot something. One more thing. We are coming up on episode 200 of the podcast, and I welcome your suggestions on how we ought to celebrate. Do you want to call in and ask me questions? Do you want to have a, try to do a live show on Google Hangouts? Do you want me to try to hunt down Fabio and ask him nosy questions? I'm not sure I can do that last one. He's a little hard to get a hold of. But if you have ideas of what to do to celebrate 200 episodes, I would like to know. Leave a comment on this entry or come find me at sarah at smartbitchestrashybooks.com or leave a comment on the podcast. I am totally open and I welcome your suggestions because, wow, 200 episodes. That's a lot of episodes. And if you've been listening and you've been binging and you've been following along, thank you. It is really cool to know how many people listen to the podcast. And now I mean it this time on with the podcast interview. My name's Katie Brown, Yay. and uh, I'm a longtime reader and longtime fan of uh, Smart Bitches Trashy Books, oh, well, that's and nice as well as say. a <laughs> as well as a huge fan of Lauren's, which oh. she knows because I stalk her on Twitter all the time oh. and <laughs> bug her for books and those sorts of things. Um, so, Lauren, I think probably the first thing to ask is sort of tell us your story. How did you get involved, and in, how did you become an author? Well, um, and this is Lauren Dane. Okay, how did I get started? Well, it's just, it's a it's kind of a funny story. I was getting ready. I had a toddler and a preschooler, and I was getting ready to go back to work in uh, legal services in nonprofit legal services, which is what I was doing. I'd been working with um, abused and neglected kids uh, at a shelter <clears throat> and helping their moms um, get through dissolution and protection orders and all that. Anyway, 
I was getting ready to, you know, go back to work full time and, you know, the kid was going to go to preschool and all that. And um, then I ended up pregnant. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Um, and so this pregnancy was a really complicated one. I was on bed rest. I could, you know, it was all this crazy stuff. So I had a lot of time um, sitting around. And so I decided to write, you know, like, cause I had time and uh, my husband brought home this second hand laptop cause we had like 38 cents that we found in the couch. <laughs> and, um, and I ended up writing the first book that I ever contracted on that one. And then like another one or two, like one and a half before it died. Cause again, it was a used laptop, but um, yeah, that's kind of how it started. It started cause I just, you know, had time on my hands in a way that, you know, if you've ever been on bed rest or been from anything, you sort of know that, you know, it's sort of, an, it's either watch TV or whatever. There's only so much crafting I could do. So I ended up writing a book and, um, yeah, that's how it, <laughs> that's how it happened. I didn't expect it to be successful. I didn't expect anything. I didn't really know what to expect. So when that first royalty statement came and I was like, wow, wait, people bought it that weren't just my mom. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my mom still has that original like a uh, you know pdf on her computer somewhere but yeah so that's that's how I started and it was a way for me to do this fun gig and make stuff up and be home when my kids got home from school and all that so I I, I lucked into it I think and that bed rest is such a life-changing thing for a lot of people because mm -hmm. it is really rare for a woman to be told, okay, you really can't do anything. You're not yes. allowed. Sit there and do nothing. Like that is 180 degrees, the opposite message that women get. It is absolutely. And and when it's, it's, it's laden with all this other stuff, like if you don't, you know, you could, you know, essentially the baby that you're carrying, you know, you could lose your pregnancy or whatever. And then, you know, so it was kind of hard because I had this kid running all around my spouse. He's just, he's so great. Mm -hmm. So he stepped in and yeah. And then, you know, my, my little one at the time, my middle, he just would hang out with me in bed and, um, you know, he would do his thing and I would read to him and stuff and write next to him. So that was at the beginning. <laughs> I don't let them in the room when I'm writing now. <laughs> so, so how old are your kids now? Um, 18 and, uh, soon to be 15 and soon to be 12. My 12, soon to be 12 year old is the one whose pregnancy sort of ended, you know, made me go this left turn into writerdom. Wow. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised, you know, and they all sleep and all, they all sleep in the night. And they all go to the bathroom and they all, you know, there's things that you think that will never happen when they're, when you're trying to do it. I was like, they're never going to get potty trained, but, you know, <laughs> luckily, luckily they eat more than goldfish. They sleep through the night and they pee where they're supposed to. So, you know, <laughs> I think it worked out. <laughs> it's sort of magical how that happens, right? Just when you think it's never going to happen. It totally feels like when it's happening to you, it just, it just feels like, oh my gosh, they're never going to sleep for longer than three hours. I'm never going to have REM sleep again. I'm, <laughs> I'm never going to sleep in. You know, these things that you think. But anyway. <laughs> and it totally reinvents re your concept of what wealth is. Like, I remember hearing um, at one of the high holiday services, I think it was for Rosh Hashanah, one of the people of my old congregation was invited to speak. And what she said stuck with me um, because her kid was always asking, well, are we rich? Are we wealthy? I mean, are we like, and she's like, well, we have everything we need. So yes, yes, we are. And he's like, okay, but what, like how wealthy are we? Because he was being inundated with all of these images of what being rich is. Because as you grow up, you see that everywhere. And her, her talk ended with, as long as no appliances or people are leaking in the night, you are wealthy. <laughs> true <is> so story. <laughs> so oh true. That, that needs to be in a cross stitch. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's so true. I have a, a, a 12 week old puppy. So I'm like back to babyhood again with it's the like whole. It's like having a toddler. It's. And it's. So it, Oh, she, she's adorable, but, and God made her that way, so I didn't kill her, yeah. but she, she is just, you know, it's still 4 a.m. up, I'm standing outside in my bathrobe in the backyard going, whispering, go potty, go potty, you know, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> you just pee for the love of God. 
<laughs> I think I'm going to need puppy pictures. Cow. I'm definitely going to need puppy pictures for this uh, oh. podcast entry. <laughs> There yeah. you go. Well, I will. I will send you some because she's stinking cute. But oh, <laughs> she. I like. I just literally had to say to the kids, "Look, I'm going upstairs to my bedroom. I'm closing the door. Someone must stay with the puppy all the time while I'm upstairs." They're both like, "Okay, fine, go." <laughs> <laughs> and then the puppy outside your door because somebody forgot. I just went to get a soda. I'm yeah, to- exactly. Yeah. I can hear them out in the backyard right now, though. So she's hopefully they're tiring her out, which is, Excellent. you know, yes. Um, okay, so second question. So, Lauren, your past prior to being an author has really informed the way that you write and the stories that you write. Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, you particularly with your Brown Sibling series, um, you really featured some of the things that you encountered on a day-to-day basis in your, you know, previous professional life before you became an author. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because not everybody writes issue books like you do, which is something that I've always really appreciated about you. Oh, <clears throat> do you mean like uh, like domestic violence and stalking? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I um, I just. I grew up. I was sort of raised with this belief that family is is integral to who you are as a person is, you know, like you're, it's, it's like the foundation of your life. And then everything kind of spokes out at, um, past that. And so my dad, my dad uh, was a parole officer when I was growing up. First he was a probation officer and he was a parole officer. You know, my parents volunteered all the time and, um, <clears throat> and we had leaky appliances by the way. <laughs> but um, so so when I started doing, when I started, you know, working at these shelters and, and dealing with these families and dealing with these women, I, I just always, I always thought of them as so much more, as so much stronger and more interesting than, than who the media or whatever made them out to be. You know, they're like issue people instead of real people who have issues. So I, I don't know, it just sort of came natural to me when I, I really do believe that everyone deserves a happily ever after all kinds of people with all kinds of stories and backgrounds. And so when I was writing up, those were stories that were, that meant something to me. Those were struggles that meant something to me that I could, that I really could find myself writing and not rolling my eyes. Because I think sometimes, you know, when you're trying to think about what sort of things, what sort of conflict there'll be in your book between the hero and the heroine, <laughs> it's easy to get caught up in stuff that doesn't seem it doesn't seem like that big of a deal to a per I, I would just talk these things out so for me like what are things that that would drive you as a person what are things that would make you not speak when you should or what are things that would create these triggers in you that would create this conflict and for me these were things that were realistic and that that people overcame because they had a great deal of personal strength and courage and integrity. And, and so they were just, you know, they were just, and I didn't see them being written about. So that's, that's kind of what drove me. I just sort of saw these things and they felt important to me and interesting to me. And they were, you know, there was something I could write about and I knew about who were these women that I wanted to hear about and why do they matter? And, um, you know, that's, that's how they came to me. So let's talk a little bit about your heroines, because you know, because you've read reviews that I've written before about your books, one of my favorite things about Lauren is that Lauren has never in her life written a doormat heroine. Her heroines kick ass, stand up for themselves, call the hero on all of his nonsense, and generally save themselves, which I really appreciate because so often in romance we read that, you know, the hero sort of swoops in and he saves the day and yay, thank God for him. And and one of the things that I really love about your heroines is that, you know, the heroes there providing a support structure or maybe um, an emotional support that she was lacking prior to him. But generally speaking, your heroines save themselves. So can you talk a little bit about writing strong heroines and how you sort of approach that and, and where you think their place is in the, in the market right now? To me, one thing about uh, Romance Landia that always just makes gives my eye twitch um, is this, this feeling that, that women need to be saved or that, you know, like the, the double standards that heroines get versus what, like what a hero does. Like she can never be in love with anybody else. She can never be sexually attracted to anybody else. She can, 
Like she has to wait to be saved or she is, you know, all of those things. And even if she doesn't wait to be saved, then that's always seen as a reflection on the hero. Like, why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do that? And so for me, I'm kind of like, look, we're the heroes of our own story. And, and I, I happen to think women are pretty amazing and I have a daughter and I think she's amazing. And I want her to see on the page, you know, smart women who can handle their own business and who are fortunate enough to have partners um, who respect their agency and respect the fact that they're strong enough to find their own solutions, but who also want to be there to share the load. Um, so, and, and it's easy for me to write those mouthy heroines. Cause that's maybe, maybe write like what you are or who you are. <laughs> It's always harder for me to write the softer heroines who sort of have to have these things drawn out from them um, just because I just kind of like, I like people who can stand up and despite whatever their their baggage is or whatever's weighing them down, I like writing a woman who can find her way out of, of a labyrinth. And, you know, I kind of think of it as like, like summer camp. Like, you know how you, you, you get challenged by something and you think you could never do that? And um, they make you climb a rock or do, you know, like whatever it is you have to do at summer camp and you do and you go, oh, wow, I never thought I could do that. And there's this sense of um, it's accomplishment, but there's something deeper than that when you figure out that you could do something you you never thought you could. And so when I'm writing a heroine, I like to think of it in those terms. Like I want her journey to be something like something happens to her and she realizes, you know what? I can do this. It's hard and it's scary and I'm going to mess up along the way, but I have the ability to be my own white knight, to be my own savior. And so I like, uh, that's just how I ended up writing them. And that's what I like to do. <clears throat> and because like I said, the double standard about heroines just makes me so, it drives me nuts. Right. So what's interesting, what, what I think is interesting about what you just said is that your books are more the story of the heroine than the hero, right? So often in romance, doesn't it feel like we read these books and it's, you know, the heroine is supposed to be what a placeholder for the reader, but the hero is sort of the center around which the story revolves. And in, in your books, that doesn't seem to be the case. You know, um, I happen to, I am fortunate in that I was raised by a really amazing man who was a partner to his, to his spouse. And I am married to somebody who's, you know, really great dad. He's a great partner whatever, you know, and it stands at my side rather than, you know, steps in front of me to handle business, except, you know, sometimes when I don't want to, like, I hate to pump my own gas. Uh, <laughs> he does that for me. But I, <laughs> I just I moved do... from a state where I never had to pump my own gas to a state where I have to, and I've really forgotten how. So if you could yeah. loan me your husband, I would really appreciate it. Oh my gosh, you can pump your gas. He's a wonderful person that way. But yeah, I, I, every time we go into to Oregon, because you can't pump your own gas in Oregon, it's always this weird, like you get out of the car to do it, and they rush out there, and you're like, oh, oh yeah, okay, that's right. <laughs> but uh, as the heroin, the heroin books, yeah, I feel, yes, I do feel like, we, we, the her- the hero, he can mess up, he can be a jerk, he can say hurtful things, he can do hurtful things, he gets to have a past, he gets to have all of these things that we never allow the heroine to do, and I just felt that, to me, that strikes me as kind of a self-loathing thing in our genre, like, we're all women writing these books about women, and sometimes I feel like, wait, why are we doing, why are we creating all these damsels, like, well, I think we can, you know, I mean, that's, to, to be to be totally fair, there are a hell of a lot of really amazing writers out there right now writing kick-ass heroines, mm-hmm. you know, who who just write so amazing and and you know really great characters with agency and all that. But for me, it was it came out of yeah, I, I like writing heroine-centric books, and and I have to tell you, it gives me a special kind of thrill when somebody tells me they like a book that they like my heroine. You know, like, I like it when they like my heroes, but when somebody says they like your heroine, it's a whole nother level as as far as, you know, romance readers, because they're very hard on the heroines. That is true. <laughs> that is true. It's amazing how how a heroine who who is disappointing to a reader can really flavor their approach to, For I mean, for me, if you don't write a good heroine, a strong heroine who I believe in, 
uh, it's unlikely I'm buying another book by you because I don't trust you to to write a you know someone who I admire or enjoy. I think that particularly there are a number of authors who I think are very good at that. I think um, of course Lauren, but I also think Julie James is really yes. good at that, and I think J.C. Burton writes really. Very yes. smart, strong heroines who... Kelly Diamond also. Right. Um, yes. We are raised and taught, I think, to be harder on one another. Yes. And so we are, we are taught constantly and very, very deeply that we should reserve judgment for women almost all the time. And so mm-hmm. when you write a heroine who is very vivid and very much in a specific position, she's not neutral, she's malleable... Um, I think Lisa Kleypas once described the heroine as the heroine that no one has problems with is like the porridge in the the three bears, not too hot, not too cold, not too much, not too little, just right. Then that heroine is accepted. I think that's really true. Um, And, uh, and as an author, you have to find that place uh, where you can just um, not, not listen to a certain brand of criticism um, that will get you, that, uh, to me, it always makes me second guess. And I just feel like there's things that you should second guess. Like, am I executing this right? Mm-hmm. It's my pacing, mm-hmm. whatever. But there are other things that like, I'm never going to, to me where I am at this point, I don't second guess the fact that my heroine is her own savior, is her own hero. And that she absolutely will do it in concert with, with her partner but I want I, I, I want the spotlight to be on the heroine. I want you know I want every book to be the heroine's book. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's the couple's book. The couple is the main thing, or the hero might be it. But I really I really do I, I do I like that focus on the heroine. Yeah, and, me too. And I kind of also feel like if a lot of people don't like the heroine, I listen and I see why. And sometimes it's a real thing. Sometimes I feel like oh you know what I should have made this or that clear. And other times I think, okay, I did that just right. I mean, I, that this pissed off enough people that I'm, I hit a nerve. And so that's kind of, that's a good thing. That's the point I was trying to make, or, you know, I guess it just, depends. <laughs> you know, they get, so I do get, I do get hate mail sometimes about it, but you know, I feel like, yeah, if you can make somebody cry or really, really mad at you, then you've probably done your job. Especially because your heroines own their sexual agency. Um, that's another thing I think is really important. Um, you know, I don't, I've, I've written a few virgins and, and I, I still want those characters to be, you know, in charge of what they like and what they don't like. Um, so yeah, I I think there's a whole lot of waiting around for somebody to tell you what you like in romance (laughs) and sometimes in romance novels, like, no, you go, you like it or you don't. So I'm a big, I'm a big believer in sexual agency for all my characters. I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't like, there can be all kinds of shades of subtle, um, but I don't ever want like consent to be subtle. I don't want, I don't want any reader to be like, wait, did she, did he make her come or not? I want, you know, yes, he does. You know, never misses an orgasm. There's something really, I think, um, uh, empowering about that. In, in, there's something empowering about a character who will be like, wait, where are you going? We're not done. You know, we need to, you know, like, my, wait, no, no, you get to come, but so do I. I think there's something really powerful in that. So, you know, I want, I, I want that. I want these characters to be in charge of their own pleasure. Well, and if for no other reason, then it, it tacitly tells the the reader, hey, it's okay to be like, uh, that was great, but what about me? Yes. Like, yeah. You know, even if even if you're you're just portraying that with your heroines, it, it tells it tells people, hey, it's okay to be like, can you hook a sister up before you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, I think that there's there's some, definitely something to that, which is. Um, <laughs> A great lesson. So the other thing, Sarah, you may or may not know about Lauren is that Lauren, on top of writing kick-ass heroines, wrote one of my very favorite heroes ever. So can we talk about Brody Brown for just a moment, oh, Lauren? You can take as long as you need. You can take hours. It's totally fine. So Brody, right, is my is literally in my top five favorite heroes of all time. Thank you. And 
Well, you're welcome. But the reason is because Brody epitomizes the caretaking alpha, right? I mean, he is, I love him because he's busy taking care of everybody else. And then he's taking care of his woman and her child, but he does it in a way that never um, kind of supersedes his woman's power. Yeah. And, and um, so the, the Brown siblings is probably one of my favorite series ever that you've written Lauren. And I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit because those books really do have issues, right? Every single one of those characters have for real life issues mm-hmm. that that they're overcoming or dealing with or, you know, finding a way to live with or be at peace with. And so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that series, how it came to you, that sort of thing. Well, you know, for me, Erin is the seed of that whole series. Um, I... I had a vision of the scene in the opening scene where she's on stage Mm -hmm. that, um, in, in late open or late bear rather I had that, that came to me before anything else. And it came to me, I don't know, like two years before I wrote it, I just had this vision of this female rock star, this bass player, you know, with all this stuff. And so, she was the seed, but then I thought, well, who, who can create this person? Like who's going to be in this person's life? Cause I'm a big believer in the cast of characters around your main character are really going to inform as to who, who that protagonist is. Right. You never, to me, you never know a character better than when you see it through us, you know, somebody who's really close to them when you see it through their eyes. So I thought, well, who, who did this, who did Aaron come from? How did this happen? And, um, then I thought about, okay, well, here was one brother, which was Adrian. But then I thought, you need something more than that. And I started writing, and Brody just came to me. And I thought, well, no, they don't, you know, they don't have parents, so how's this going to work out? And then, you know, and then Brody came along. And as I was writing um, Laid Bear, I started, you know, he's he's a lot like my husband, Brody is. Um, wow, lucky you. I am. <laughs> you know, I, I have to say that a lot of these, you know, like Levi and uh, Jonah and some of these characters, a lot of them have um, characteristics of my husband in, the, in that they're super sort of alpha, but they're also like stay in their own lane. Mm-hmm. You know, like so, so, you know, I wanted, I wanted her to have plenty of men in her life who cared about her and who get, you know, and who sort of created this foundation in her life, but also that, you know, that you could understand why she would be this person who would walk away from Todd, you know, and say like, I'm not going to be anyone's dirty little secret. Um, and so then I figured, okay, well, uh, how does she come back from this and what happened to her to switch her from this, you know, character who is really bold in the first part of the book to somebody who's not as much later. And then the, um, the thing about her child came out and, and originally I wasn't going to write, I wasn't going to write anything about her child because several people were like, you can't write about children who die in romance. Everyone will hate you for it. Um, but then I thought, well, I didn't, I wanted it to be something else. You know, these things mark you as a person and how do these things that mark you as a person really deeply change that. And so for some reason over the course of that series, it was just a whole lot of people who had these deep scars and wounds who sort of came together. Um, but you know, people thought people were, you know, when I wrote that, then everyone said, oh, all she does is write heroines with big issues. <laughs> so, so but it just it just sort of came out that way. You know, when you think, why would somebody be across, all the way across the country? Oh, well, so she's escaped. What has she escaped from? And then I started thinking about what are the things that affect people? I mean, a lot of times these things come up in, in either I see something or I know somebody who's going through a problem. And when I was writing... Uh, when I was writing some of the stuff about addiction with Elise's brother, um, there was somebody in our life who was dealing with their son who was a heroin addict. And so all of this emotion that was coming into my life because of our friend who was dealing with this problem with her son um, was something that I thought, oh, you know, this is, <clears throat> this is a real thing. What do you, how do you feel as a parent when this is happening to your kid? How do you feel as a, as a friend or as a, um, you know, as a sibling to somebody who's having this and how do you protect yourself? And so I guess they're just these, I, I don't want to make it seem like I take other people's misery and farm it for my books, but I guess, I guess I kind of do. 
Well, don't don't most authors sort of in some way or another? I mean, I I know several authors who, I, I guess you know the, your life and the people around you have to inform what you write somewhat. I guess right. And well, as an author, you're up. being empathetic and you are you're right. translating emotion. It's not like you're you know. Yes. Tell me more about how awful you felt. Like you're right. a daytime then, television you know, host. That it was just it was just like oh my gosh you know how do you and 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 then you know we have a friend who um, went through a major major problems with addiction for several years to the point that, you know, you couldn't, you know, he estranged everyone and burned all kinds of bridges and stuff. So you just, you call that back when you're writing. And so, um, the, the stuff about social work and, um, in the, in inside out, that was something that I had, you know, of course I dealt with a lot of social workers when I, when I did, um, public interest work, public interest, legal work, I dealt with social workers when I, worked at the state in the attorney general's office. I worked with obviously CPS people and social workers and all of that stuff sort of comes in. So I was able to apply these things about the law that I knew, you know, and that's how you flesh it out. But I mean, I guess it's right what you know. <laughs> and, you know, and again, I, I there were, they were conflicts that felt believable to me without being fantastical. Sometimes things feel too fantastical and I can't, I can't make it execute right. So for whatever reason, it just, it, you know, and because the stories were gritty and the characters were kind of gritty and the setting was a little gritty, it just, it just seemed to work out that way that they all right. just had all those problems. But I just, I feel like, you know, addiction is something that a lot of people have to deal with, whether it's, you know, immediate family or friends or, or, you know, externally and, and stalking and domestic violence. These are, these are things that happen to women um, all the time and, and you don't, and you don't see them in the light where they're recovered and they're survivors. They still have triggers, but, but they're survivors. And how does that work after that? How does that change your life? So I want, I wanted to write about these issues without making the people who had experienced them have been so weakened by them that they're, you know, that, that you don't care about their stories. I wanted to tell stories about people who um, overcame something. And it, it just it just felt interesting to me to do it that way. So the the other sort of side of the of you know what you write is you write a ton of really dandy paranormal and urban fantasy sort of romance, and you're currently in the midst of publishing a new series, correct? Right. Sure. Is, yeah. So can you talk a little about that? Um, it's called Diablo Lake, and the first book is Moonstruck, and the second is Protected. And it's um, it started out the idea started out to be like a lot more funny than it's than it, than it executed. It executed darker <laughs> than that, but um, it's a it's a small town in the Smokies in Tennessee, and um, it's. Uh, it, it, they're, it's kind of kept secret by some sort of magics that the witches that live there have created to sort of keep their secret safe. Um, so it's got some shifters and some witches and a bunch of small small town stuff. It's uh, I don't want to say it's like the Chase Brothers because I don't. It's not exactly the same, but it's it's got that feeling. Small town. There's you know businesses on the main street. Um, you got yourself some hot. Uh, blue collar werewolves they're the Dooleys and then you have the the werewolves who are the white collar who run the town those are the Pembries so we've got some Dooleys and Pembries and um, some some female witches who have um, <laughs> come into the scene and and uh, so you're dealing with an alpha witch and an alpha wolf in the first one and the second one um, you're dealing also with an alpha witch and an alpha wolf but uh, you know it's much more Mm, small town dealing with sort of the general issues that you have in a small town, everyone knowing your business and stuff. So it's dark and that there's some politics, you know, which is always, which is one of the reasons I love to write paranormals and futuristics uh, and urban fantasy, because you can tackle sort of political issues in a way that, that are accessible and nobody feels, um, no, nobody feels attacked when they read them. If it's a werewolf saying it versus if I was doing it in a contemporary romance, um, so I get to write all kinds of funky issues and, and, uh, all kinds of hot werewolf sex. And, um, uh, so yeah, so it's a small town paranormal romance. Um, and it's, um, a little bit of my chase brothers, a little bit of my, uh, Cascadia wolves, but with a whole new spin on what witches are and, and, uh, what, what these shifters are and, and sort of magic coming from the land and stuff. So 
it's um, it's been a really fun writing experience. Uh, Angela James is my editor, and so she's just really great about you know the covers are great and all the packaging is wonderful. So, so those are the first two books, and they are in June, and I think they shifted the second one to August. Fun. I'm hoping to write more because I love them, um, and I love the world. So we'll see. I'm hoping paranormal romance is on the way back. Well, it never left my Kindle, that's for sure. So I'm I'm always delighted when somebody uh, publishes good paranormal because there's a lot that's sort of marginal. We'll call yeah. it. <laughs> I think I think paranormal is due for another sort of surgence in popularity, especially because what you're doing is combining paranormal world building with contemporary world building because I think part of the the, the appetite for small town contemporary was world building. It was creating yeah. these communities that you could sort yes. of mentally move into and hang out with for multiple books yeah. in a row. And that's why those series that were set in small towns kept going and going because it was like watching your favorite show and knowing everyone right. in Stars Hollow and yes. only in book form. So what you're doing is you're creating a world that's a small town world and then right. adding contemporary and paranormal world building at the same right. time. World right. building was always important to paranormal. And I don't think we really talked about it in terms of other genres until small town contemporary became such a big thing with you combining something that has a long time history in romance with paranormal being as popular as it was for as long as it was. Right. I think that both are, are, are an excellent combination. And I really think that a lot of readers are super curious about what new paranormal books right. are coming out. And I totally did a podcast with the two women, uh, Lee and Bea Koch, who run the Ripped Bodice in L.A. Uh, yes. And we had a whole discussion about how much we miss witches. Like we miss yes. covens of witches. We miss female friendship. We miss female friendship with magic. We miss witches. So you said witches and I start, I'm, I have it on mute because I take notes while you're talking. So I remember like what books to put in the entry and everything. And I'm like, oh my God, witches, witches, witches. Yes. <laughs> this is so great. Yes. <laughs> yes. And they're badass witches and they're, you know, there's a, and they don't have a coven, they have a consort. And because the, there's a an elderly woman, Ms. Rose, who is the, she's the leader of their consort. And she, you know, she likes to keep things classy. <laughs> and she likes to keep people in line. And, and I love that. And I love, maybe it's because of my own, like, you know, like <clears throat> growing up, I had family in the small town South. I still have family in the small towns, um, South or Central Valley in California too. So I love small towns for what they are and so it's always fun for me to write that but I love to write witches and when they went out of style for a while I was kind of bummed because nobody wanted to see them um so I'm happy to have them I'm happy that uh that Karina has given me a place to put my witches oh, I me too because I love to write them and I haven't written a vampire well I do write vampires in in my urban fantasy but yeah I think it's going to be a while before vampires come back to yeah. to more PNR I agree with you I also love that you write really strong female friendship. That's a genuine friendship that isn't, uh, you know, all other females are there to highlight the heroine for that book. And then in the next book, all the other females take on that highlighting role. In your books, there's a real messy, emotional, genuine friendship between the female characters. So, I mean, it's not that much of a stretch for you to be writing a coven of witches because that's a very interconnected sort of right. society but even in straight contemporaries and menage contemporaries you have friends who are women who are real genuine i will take no shit from you but i will defend you um if right. someone tries to give you shit friendships which are valuable i think especially since i've read um shelly laurenston's call of crows series back to back oh. last week those books oh, are so yeah. good oh, oh they're so good um i love i love them what i've and noticed I is that Oh, they're so freaking good. Like, I just, I, I want to go read them now, reread them, and I don't have time for that, but I want to anyway. After reading them and then thinking about the crows and how they interact with each other, I think that women are conditioned to tolerate a certain amount of toxicity in their friendships, and I'm like, yes. wait, no, no, I do not tolerate that anymore. Exactly. Well, you know, I personally really, really believe in the power of, of female community. And um, I have never, when I remember being younger and I had a friend who kept saying, I don't really have that many friends who are women. Almost my friends are boys. And I'm speaking up, you know, like boys are fun and everything, but I, 
there is nothing in life that can fulfill you um, like a really good female friendship. I think that like intentional sisterhood is a really important thing. And I think as women, we are constantly inundated with, um, especially the older you get, like where I am right now, it's like, oh my God, don't move without, you know, you might leak pee. All your hands are going to look old. Oh, you have this. Oh, you have that. You're person. Oh, you're this. Oh, you're that. You're too fat. You're too thin. Get your boobs done. Get No, here's the thing where you can freeze. And I just, there's so much that's constantly like, pecking at women and I think it's like you know for younger women it's like well are you married are you gonna get married do you have any kids what is this what is that and I think that really strong female friendships really strong female community it's it's like our defense it's it's our keep against all of the societal bullshit that sort of constantly inundates us that makes us question whether we deserve all these things that we know we do um, and so for me, I personally, when I'm writing, I honestly truly feel like there is no better way to know that character than what her friends or her family think about her and, um, and how they respond to her and how they connect with her and how she connects with them. Who is this person? You know who a person is by how they respond to a friend in trouble. And, um, so, so yeah, I, I just feel like it says so much about a character when she has deep friendships um, with people who, who will call her out on her bullshit, but who will also, yes, absolutely always have her back. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's a joy to me to write and, um, and I love it. And it makes me, it's, it's one of the things that makes me happiest when, um, when it gets called out in reviews. Um, and so I, I love to write female friendship and I just, there's always this in, in a lot of fiction, there's always this, Thing about women and they should be jealous of one another and they should they're always constantly trying to steal one another's men and you know that stuff that stuff might happen and it does happen I'm sure but I don't necessarily want it happening in my books I mean I feel like if I can write a fucking werewolf then I can write um oops I said a bad word uh, then well, I can we, write we do not have any FCC oversight you can say whatever <laughs> you like it's um, only the title of the podcast that can't have the word bitches in it. The content, you say whatever the fuck you want. All right. So I feel like if I can write a werewolf and people won't bat an eye, then I can write a really um, mature and layered uh, female friendship. Uh, I just, I, I feel like it's a really important thing. And I, and I feel like when you look back through all sort of the historical stuff, when you look back through time, it's, it's women and their best friends who have the most interesting stories to tell who are, who do the most interesting things. If you, if you think about suffragettes as like a group of friends, think about yes. the you know what I'm saying? So I think when you think about it in those terms, you just, you really come out with a bunch of women putting them, putting themselves together in the same room to, to do something. Um, it's, it's a powerful thing. And so I love to write about it and it, and, and it absolutely fuels my own life. And I, and it's something that I, I, I'm always pleased to write about. And you'll be happy to know there's a really wonderful, funny friendship between, um, Katie Faith, who is the heroine in the next, in my PNR Moonstruck with her best friend, Amy, um, who is in the second book protected. So they're, they, they make, there's a lot of bless your heart and there's a lot of making fun and stuff, but <laughs> it's, it's a real genuine friendship that, that, that seriously, it was, uh, Angie was like, maybe have some of these conversations with the hero instead of with, <laughs> I was like, but wait, they're so much more fun when she has them with her best friend. Mm -hmm. So yes, so that's so that's what I like. I, I think women are amazing and, and my friends have been amazing to me and have helped me out of a lot of really um, scary situations. And so um, I am absolutely pleased to be able to write about it. I love that. I also think that, you know, when you have a character that's sort of a virgin in all things, like she's never, she's been kept protected or secluded for whatever reason. And this happens a lot in paranormals where either they enter a world that is not theirs. And so they know nothing about it. And in that way, they're the audience surrogate or they've been protected in some way. And then they're unleashed on the world and they don't know what to do with it. Um, right. There's always that sort of, okay, how do I do this friends thing? How do I have close friends? How do I make friends? What do I do with them once I have them? And then you yeah. have women who roll in with a strong group of friends who are protective and yet give you shit. Those are both such powerful messages, I think, for women who read romance. I absolutely agree. Yes, definitely. Because there's because who can't who can't identify with that moment where you come into you come into a room or a party 
Um, and everyone else knows everyone there, but you're new. Yes. Or maybe you're all new and you're trying to, you know, like you're looking for a handhold, uh, you know, a place to sort of rest for a second while you get your bearings. But it's also, it's, it can be really, you know, it's can be scary. It can be, you know, intimidating or whatever. So I, yeah, I think there's a, there's a wonderful amount of, of emotion, uh, there. And it's hard to make friends as an adult. It totally is hard to make friends as an adult. Um, because, <laughs> because I think a lot of times you're like, okay, well, is this, am I, am I in everybody's face too much? Yep. You know, cause when I decide I want to be friends with somebody, I just kind of relentlessly be their friend <laughs> <laughs> until they roll over and are like, fine. Until they just, yeah. That, that's what we call, my puppy's busy doing that with my lab right now. We call it the charm offensive because yeah. she's just endlessly uh -huh. in his face. And he, every once in a while, it's like, fine, I will play with you. It's yeah. the same sort of concept, right? The whole like, hi, we're going to be friends because I like you and I think you're awesome and you should think I'm awesome too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, and I think that that's a, uh, it's just one of those moments where, you get when you're reading a book like that, or you're reading something, and you see that on the page, and you remember those feelings. That's a real intense connection between reader and material. Oh, and you know, as in, when you're writing that, you know, no, you know, that's a really important thing to get. Sort of, you want to invest the reader in something, so you want to make it something that they can identify with. You want them to feel like, oh yeah, I've been there. You know, because my heroine has to come back to town three years after she got left at the altar. And it's a small oh, town. Piece of cake. So everyone, so everyone knows her business. So, And everyone filled in her story while she was gone. Well, her mom and her best friend's mom, they kind of, they're like the gossip mavens of town. So, um, and everyone's a little afraid of them. So they, they were able to control most of it. So, you know, she comes back and, and most of it's been dealt with, but you know, she, she gets herself, she gets a cure boy in the end. So that works out. Yay. You know. <laughs> gotta, gotta make the end worth something so yeah so yeah it, I love to write female friendships it's a really important thing for me personally and I love to write them which is uh -huh. a very answer <laughs> <laughs> so Lauren talk a little about what um, like which other authors other than you who are you reading and really enjoying right now or, or uh, what have you read recently that's really kind of knocked your socks off? Um, yeah, I asked, I don't know, a couple, uh, like a month ago, I asked for recommendations for horrors from writers of color. And um, somebody suggested, um, and I hope I get the, I hope I pronounce this right, Tanana Reed Due. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started reading My Soul to Keep, which is like this, um, I, I like horror novels that I don't want it to be super bloody and gory and in my face every second. I don't like that. I like horror stories that have a lot of people in them that are going through stuff. So it, it's amazing. And I really, really liked it. It's called My Soul to Keep. It's got some some sort of old school mythology in it. And it's, uh, and it's some interesting flashback technique in time moving forward. It's, it's, it's really, really good. But I also finished reading... Um, the latest Jane Yellow Rock, which I love, all of her, and of course now I can't think Fire. No, that's uh, Patty Patty Briggs. I read Fire Touched, which I loved. Um, I'm a huge, huge Patricia Briggs fan. Um, Mercy and Adam are my favorite, although I do like Charles and Anna. Um, and what else did I read? Yeah, so the newest Jane Feather, or the newest Jane Yellow Rock, rather. Um, Shadow Rights. Yes, Faith Faith Hunter is the author. Um, so I and I loved that. I don't have my Kindle with me, so. That's all right. I go have by. the internet. You're good. You're good. Oh, okay. So yeah. So I loved that. And what else did I read? I read. Um, okay, I have to look at it now because I just i i try to read. I try to read stuff that I don't that I'm not writing. So I got on a big horror. I was on a big horror kick. So I read some Christopher Golden, who I really really love. Um, and uh, I'm I'm waiting for the next um, Justin Cronin, the last in the passage series that one's yes my husband is slogging through those right now he's he's read them but he's like i gotta get i want to like jump back into the world again and then he just prior to that read all of the dark tower again dark yeah, tower. Say, that's that's quite a that's some that's me he's really getting into it 
Oh, yeah. He, well, I mean, he has a tattoo on his leg that is from the Dark Tower. So he's. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's I'm the Mark of the White and some line from this the, person at some point because that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, he's awesome. I'm not going to lie to you, but. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the Justin Cronin, I've been, I've been looking at the top of my husband's head for like the last two weeks, three weeks while he's been. And every time I'm like, what are you reading, Brave? Still reading Cronin. Okay. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad for him right now because I'm in a huge slump. So I'm like endlessly like, what are you reading? What's Have going you on with you? <laughs> Do you like MM historical? Because KJ Charles has this um, series out that I have absolutely loved every single book. It was like a gentleman's affair, and then it was uh, a seditious, uh, a gentleman's something, and then a seditious affair was the second one. And I just finished the third one. It's KJ Charles. I love them. There's like, there's like politics, there's history, there's all kinds of great stuff. And, you know, the, the, the different, the happily ever after comes not, not so easy, right. For men at this time uh, in history. And so I love them. So if, if you, if you like MM romance, those are ones I would highly recommend. Ooh, that's good to know. I'm making a little note. I love how, when someone says I'm in a reading slump, everyone just sort of like, all right, we're going to fix this. We got to fix like, this right now. It's, the, it's I, so awesome. My I slump just, has been epic this time. I'm, I'm going on month four of like I'm now I will say this I'm beta reading stuff that I love but Uh, you know it's not the same because I can't be like like I just finished one that she sent me half the book and we got to the halfway point I was like are you freaking kidding me there's no more (laughs) I read her back I'm like listen sister I don't know I know you've got kids to raise but you need to like sit your butt in a chair and write the rest of this book so I can read it because being in a reading slump is the worst because then I just then I just end up rereading everything. I just went on a reread binge not too long ago where I read I reread I don't know like the first seventeen in depth books. You know, so I was like, okay, I, I gotta I gotta clear my palate. I've gotta cleanse it and move on with something else. So sometimes I can't read romance for a while. I've been trying to figure out. You know, I. I work from home three days, but the other two, I commute to downtown DC, which is about I'm about two hours in the car each direction. So I've been listening to audiobooks, mm-hmm. and I've been on like a Nora Roberts trilogy binge where I'm just like listening to all of them over and over again. And I'm trying to decide if I need to like switch to serious and stop listening to so many audiobooks because I sit down to read. And I can't keep my attention. Like everything I read, I'm like, okay, this is great. What's going on on Facebook? What's going on on Twitter? And I, you know, it's, it's weird. It's like I've lost the discipline to sit down and actually read a book like a grown up person. I'm like That's a two year old. That's why I, you know, I have, a, uh, I have a paper white. I don't read on any other device. I mean, I might, I read paper books, but I don't read on any other device because if I try to read on my iPad, then I just were like, oh, well, maybe I should see what's happening on Twitter. You know, and right. so then I go over there and then I just get all riled up. And so um, <laughs> I'm trying to be, well, seriously, I'm trying to be more, I'm trying to be less negative all the time. So that means less time at Twitter. And I miss Twitter, but, you know, every time I go there, I, I, every time I go there, I need to, I leave mad and I just, I don't have the energy for it. Right now is is not a good time to talk to random people because there's just a lot of, awful polarizing discussion of yeah. everything and it, it and it, you're not going to change anybody's mind so it can feel like taking a, a jump in a really nasty pool i completely totally understand is. that feeling yeah i mean i got attacked the other day because for, by bill by anti-bill nitroles like like is that a thing but yeah. apparently it's a thing it's a thing yes. i got attacked by them and i thought well oh, <laughs> you know Katie, it occurs to me, I took a road trip recently and I was um, with my kids. So I had my GPS on my phone 
and I have a little magnet phone holder. And then I used a one ear um, headphone. So I had one ear open and one ear had a headphone in it because they were listening to something in the backseat and I needed to hear the GPS. So I turned on an audiobook, which led to the most excellent thing where the book is going and then the hero turns to her and says, move to the right lane to get off in two miles. <laughs> and that happened like six or seven times and every time I was completely delighted. But when I got home, I realized I was having a really hard time concentrating on reading because the part of my brain that likes to listen things to things was bored. Like, where are, where are the words? We need words that's quiet. This is boring. So there's this website called Coffitivity. It's like C-O-F-F-I-T-I-V-I-T-Y dot com. And it's like a background noise, but it's a coffee shop. So there's voices and clanking and this sort of white noise of people and so when I'm having a hard time concentrating because the, the, the ear connected part of my brain is like, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm not listening to anything, I'm bored. And I can't listen to music with words when I'm reading because it's too many words. I turn that on and my and that part of my brain that's like like a Jack Russell Terrier of distraction, it calms the hell down. So that might help you because my problem was I couldn't make the transition from listening to reading because it was too quiet. There really is an app for everything. There like really that, is. That is unbelievable that someone was like, you know, we could market a thing. Yeah, we can, we just... can make the sound of a coffee shop into a marketable product. Because, you know, I find being around other people very draining. I'm super introverted, which always makes people laugh, but it's extremely true. I find being in a large group of people very draining. I could not work in a coffee shop. It would be physically draining. But listening yes. to the sound of it, not a problem. I actually was yesterday was my mother-in-law's 75th birthday. Wow. I am also I am like you, Sarah, a tremendous introvert. Yep. And I married into a ginormous Italian family. So <laughs> I went yesterday and my husband is like a 9000 on the extrovert chart, right? So I always say I I am the life of the party's ride home you know, from wherever we, we've been. But I, yesterday, like we got in the car and he looks at me and he goes, are you okay? And I was like, that was a lot of extroverting. It was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot of extrovert performance. I'm done now. That's what I said to him. I said, I feel like I was the only, you know, utility plug that everyone could plug into and suck the life out of. And it's all gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we got in the car and I was like, there's no talking. Everybody put your earphones in. Shh. Yep. Yeah. And my kids were both like, okay. <laughs> so they're just, shh. everybody shushed on the ride home because it is. I, but that is a brilliant idea. The coffativity, is that what it's called? I will send you That's, the link. That is most excellent. Totally worked for me. <laughs> excellent. See, there you go. I, I see. There you go. Who knew? I didn't even know that was a thing, but I'm delighted to hear it. And that is all for this week's episode. Thank you to Katie and to Lauren for hanging out and answering and discussing so many interesting things. I really enjoyed this interview and I hope you did too. As I mentioned during the intro, and this is the outro, which is also totally a word, I'm coming up on 200 episodes. The 200th episode of Smart Podcast Trashy Books will be happening on July 1st. So if you have ideas of what we should do to celebrate, I would like to hear them. You can email me at sarah at smartbitchestrashybooks.com or sbjpodcast at gmail.com. I check them both. Or you could leave a comment on this entry on smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast and let me know what you think should happen. And if you've got ideas for who to interview in the future, who we should talk to, what you want to know about, feel free to tell me that too. I like hearing from you guys because you all are smart and I know you're either putting on your makeup or you're on the treadmill or you're walking the dog or you're doing something. So whatever it is you're doing while you're listening, thank you for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Love Swept, publishers of Good Girl by bestselling author Lauren Lane. In this steamy novel, country music's favorite good girl hides away from the world and finds herself bunking with a guy who makes her want to be a little bad. Noah should probably tell Jenny that he's Preston Noah Maxwell Walcott, the owner of the estate where the feisty country singer has made her spoiled self at home. But the charade of being the caretaker gives Noah a much-needed break from his own troubles and before long their verbal sparring is indistinguishable from foreplay. But as sizzling nights give way to quiet pillow talk, Noah begins to realize that Jenny's almost as complicated as he is. 
to fit into each other's lives, they'll need the courage to face their problems together before the outside world catches up to them. You can find Good Girl by Lauren Lane on sale May 17th wherever ebooks are sold. And we have a sponsor for the transcript this month. The transcript is being sponsored by Everything Under the Heavens, book one of Silk and Song by Dana Stabenow. Joanna flees her homicidal stepmother in Kambaluk, the storied city of Kublai Khan, and sets out on the Silk Road with companions Joffrey and Shasha in search of her fabled grandfather, Marco Polo. Everything Under the Heavens is on sale for 99 cents at Barnes & Noble and is free at Amazon, Kobo, and iTunes right now. And if you're a regular listener of the show and you're thinking, how do I find out about sponsorship? Email me, sarah at smartbitchestrashybooks.com. And if you're thinking, sponsorship, not so much in my budget, but I would love to help the show, I would welcome your help. I have a couple projects that I'd like to get started on, including making sure that every episode in the archives has a transcript, because, well, accessibility is important and not everyone likes to listen, which I totally get. If you'd like to give us a hand with that project and sponsor the show with an ongoing monthly pledge, you can have a look at our Patreon campaign, patreon.com slash smartbitches. I am so thankful for everyone who has already checked it out and made a pledge. And if you're thinking about it and I can answer a question, I will totally say my email address one more time because you can totally email me at sarah at smartbitchestrushybooks.com. In the meantime, on behalf of Lauren Dane and Katie and everyone here and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.